Hi Roz, with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. And welcome to the RoboHub podcast and our second episode with interviews from the International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems, IROS. This time from the exhibition space and some of the cool exhibitors showcasing their tech. Today's first interview is about an assistive walker with additional functionality. Robot and control scientist Gabriel Lopi, who works at Robot Care Systems in the Netherlands, spoke to our interviewer Audro about building a software language for non-technical people that works with older adults, how his walker can be used with older adults, and the future of the company. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hello. Would you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Gabriel Lopez, and uh, I'm one of the research scientists at uh, Robot Care Systems, a company that develops robots for healthcare. Where are you guys located? We're in the Netherlands, in The Hague, uh, and uh, most of us came from uh, Delft University of Technology, and we started a team to develop robots that can hopefully help a part of society that is normally not so addressed, like the elderly or people with difficulty in mobility. Gotcha. Tell me about what you're demonstrating here. So this is a a walker, assistive walker, and it will help you move, but it will also do other things like detect that you're falling and prevent you from falling, and this is very important for the elderly. But it also has other functionality, social functionality, like video calls to your family, workouts to keep you fit, uh, and On top of that, there's autonomous uh, behaviors. There's a button that you can bring with you, and when you click this button, the robot will come to you from wherever it is in your house to where you're holding the button. You can can also send it away, and it will navigate uh, in your room to your predefined location. What does it look like? What does it look like? Uh, It looks like a a walker, which uh, it has... Uh, wheels on the bottom and it has handles to hold and if you fold it in a certain way it can become a chair for you to sit gotcha it's kind of so when I look at it it looks kind of like a letter M turned on its side and you can hold uh, so that that gives it the shape because it's not like one of those metal walkers that has the arch yes it's it's slightly different so it's like an M turned on the side or a number three actually it's probably yes, better yes that's true um, and so you hold the top part yep and then it has this lower part with handles. Yes. I suppose that's for helping someone pull themselves to their feet? Exactly. If you're laying in bed and you call the robot, you can use these handles to lift yourself. While you do this, the robot automatically breaks because there's sensors. And once you're standing up, then you can... Uh, and then it will pull you. Okay. And uh, then it has large wheels, maybe 6 inches in diameter or um, 15 centimeters? Yes. Okay. And you can, uh, on the top part of it... It has a tablet, yes. a little iPad-looking thing, uh, and that part flips up so that you can sit on the middle. Yes. Fairly good description? Yes, it's perfect. All right. Now, um, what kind of sensors does this have? So this robot has lots of sensors. We have around 70 sensors on it. Uh, we have laser range finders that we use for navigation. We Where have, are they? Uh, look at it in the bottom, under oh. the seat. Uh, we have a 3D camera, which is the Intel RealSense 
below this tray that we can have a 3D picture of the feet of the person. Why is the laser rangefinder on the back? Because it's it's being blocked from the front. I assume you'd want it facing forward. Well, actually, when you call the robot, you want it to arrive to you from this, from oh. the back. So the back is actually the front. It navigates. And you let the backwards. human steer, and that's why it's not facing that other yes, yes, side. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. So it navigates towards you, and it gives you its handles, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay, so there's the laser rangefinder. I thought I saw a sonar sensor. Uh, yes, and these are to measure the posture, so that if you're part, if you're too far away from the robot, it will stop automatically to prevent you from falling. But we also use ultrasonics to detect objects. We have time of flight sensors. Yeah. We have infrared sensors, and we have a skin of capacitive sensors to detect any approaching uh, person. The idea that we use all this redundancy to make the robot as safe as possible because our uh, target audience needs this extra safety. Okay. And how much does one of these cost, approximately? It costs around 9,000 euros if you buy it directly. But if you get it through an insurance company, then it could be as little as 150 euros per month that you can rent. Gotcha. And then, uh, so tell me a bit about the software. Yes. It's running ROS as the base, but on top of it, we built something we call Roll, uh, which is an abstraction on top of ROS that allows us to create software that is correct by design. The reason we did this... What do you mean correct by design? uh, We build uh, a constrained form of a language that when you use this language, you're always guaranteed to get the result that you wanted from the beginning. And what is the result that you want from the beginning? What do you mean? We want uh, uh, extremely safe behavior because this robot is certified as medical class A. So everything needs to be uh, certified in a way that... Where is it certified as medical class A? In the... In the Netherlands. In the Netherlands? Yes. Ah. So the, the idea is that we build languages, we, build, we built in, in, in-house a, a new compiler, a new class of compiler that accepts languages that you can create yourself, cool. uh, languages that generate other languages, but ultimately it generates uh, raw C++ code that it's guaranteed to be correct. And then we're uh, safe to and put so it on the can robot. You me, can you give me an example of kind of what you mean? Yes. Like it, it, so it won't accelerate past a certain thing? Or For example, can you imagine a finite state machine that represents the behavior you have. For example, I'm in idle, I'm allowed to go to walking, or I'm allowed to go to navigation. You build this finite state machine uh, with your team, and then you implement it. But there are certain transitions that are not allowed to happen. I cannot go from an emergency state to a walking state, for example. If you code this directly in C++, there's always the risk that you might, by mistake, fire transition or allowed. But if you build a language with constraints that only allow you to fire transitions that... Uh, is this assuming you do, like, bad memory management or what kind of things? For, for example, the point is, as you increase the complexity, the more chances you are of making mistakes. And if you want to build a very, very complex machine with very, very interesting behaviors, it's better to start abstracting, 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 so that it's much easier to write your code correctly. Why not just write a finite state, like a good architecture for a finite state machine in C++ where you can pass functions in or something? Yes, that's the standard approach. You do abstraction by libraries. I mean, it doesn't have to be libraries. I could write my own finite state machine. Sure, sure. But But the normal approach is that you build a new object, maybe it's a mathematical architecture, and you build it in C++. And then you let your users use this library. What we do is slightly different. On top of this library, we build a language. And then yes. we can pass it on to people that are not necessarily technical, ah, that don't need to know C++. Advantage. And if we build it so high in the abstraction level, you actually give it 
to the non-technical people that actually know what the behavior of the robot should be. Very That's the idea. So how do they design it? Like how, so if I'm a non-technical person, how do I access the way of programming this? So we give you a set of rules, and the rules are if a particular event happens because of a sensor detects something, then you can do something else. Building a very simple uh, language like this, you're already able to tell the machine that, for example, when you're walking, the LEDs should be green to indicate that I'm walking. If I'm braking, the LED should go red. This is a very simple language that you can do. And from here, we generate the code that enforces a particular hardware state depending on the, the state that is happening. So are you basically enforcing a specific way to make state transitions? Yes, we're, we're doing a lot of things. We have lots of languages. <laughs> languages to how to set up the hardware for each state. Languages that use temporal logic to make decisions about the behavior based on time. Uh, we're using finite state machines, using the same language, making sure that we never fail a transition. So a lot of languages were built to achieve this safe behavior. Huh. Okay. Why, why did you decide to make a language as opposed to um, just creating a high-level library or something? Like, it's, just, it's interesting to jump to creating a new language. I'm yes, just... it's a philosophical uh, discussion. Should we approach it from a language perspective or from class, classes and libraries? Well, why did you feel like you needed to create a language? Because we wanted to automate. We wanted to make, automate as much as possible and give the opportunity for other elements of the company to program the robot themselves. Gotcha. We don't want just the, the technical team programming, we want okay. everybody programming. So you make it easier for the people that are coming into closer contact with the people you're trying to help yes, to design exactly. your architecture. Exactly. Because the product is targeted towards the elderly or rehabilitation, yep. the people that know the behavior are these exact non-technical people. Gotcha. So, uh, and the language is the, our way of abstracting to get to that level. Very nice. What do you think? So, what's the future of your company? Next, maybe two years, five years? Well, we're selling this robot right now. Uh, we're hoping that if we succeed, we can apply this technology to other platforms. But we will always focus on very specific uh, problems that are solved that needs to be solved in, in our society. So we're not looking to build a generic platform that looks for a market. We're identifying markets that could benefit from robotics and we're building very uh, nicely constructed design-wise and software-wise platforms to target those needs. And by the way, the software, we are making it open source so that anybody can use it and contribute because we got so much from Ross, we want to give a bit back to the community. Thank you. Thank you. And for our second and last interview today, Audra spoke to Stein-Erik Maurice, CEO of Helodi Robotics, which is also based in the Netherlands. Maurice's long-term goal is to create an affordable home robot. He spoke to Audra about the humanoid platform he and his team developed and discussed the design and form factor of his robot, including the custom motor and its ability to lean in from a joint at its ankle. He also shared what it's like working with investors on this long-term project. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Would you introduce yourself? Yeah, I am uh, Bernd from uh, Halode Robotics, know, mm -hmm. uh, CEO and co-founder in that company. Would you tell me about the robot that's in pieces here? Uh, yeah. So uh, this is uh, 
our humanoid that we're putting together now, the third generation, uh, which is uh, made to be uh, very capable but still affordable. Mm -hmm. What does it look like when it's together? So it's in pieces now because the assembly um, has not been finished yet. So you have a head here and then the legs over there. Or not legs, but wheel plat, lower half. Yeah. What, what does the whole robot look like? Oh, uh, it looks like an anthropomorphic uh, humanoid. Uh, it's uh, one-legged with wheels, which can go uh, segway mode to drive around, but has like a third support point for stable uh, manipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the the leg itself has six degrees of freedom, and uh, then we have two arms with seven degrees of freedom each, mm-hmm. so that we get the full human kinematics, except some shoulder movements and spine and things, of course. But yeah. mm-hmm. And so, what's kind of the goal of this platform? You mentioned affordable. Yeah, so, uh, the long-term goal of this company, and now we're like Blue Sky Vision, long-term yeah. is uh, ho- enabling the home robot. And uh, by that we mean a robot that is actually really capable of doing most human tasks while still becoming affordable for um, upper-middle-class household. Mm-hmm. So that means high payload and uh, active balancing so that you can actually handle your own dynamics and pick up heavy objects and mm-hmm. all of that. Gotcha. So talking about active balancing, tell me a bit about the leg. Like the design of it, I suppose. Yeah. So it um, it's uh, based on our direct drive actuators. So we have a very, very small transmission ratio. It's mainly like 4 to 1 transmission ratios for the joints. 4 to 1? Yeah. Enabling. So big yeah. motors, kind of like um, a drone motor with this? Yeah. Nice and flat and high torque? Yeah, very high. So, uh, high high we, current as well? Yeah, so uh, not very. It's, our motors are, as far as we know, uh, way stronger than what's available in the market today. Uh, and that enables us to use very low uh, gear ratios and do open loop torque control. Yeah, 4 to 1 is very low. Can you tell me a bit about the advantages of low gear ratios? Yeah, uh, we have very, very good variable impedance. We can go super stiff, super soft, switch it at uh, kilohertz, what kind of stiffness that we want. It's uh, natively compliant and back-drivable, so it can take impacts really well without damaging the system. And especially having such a low gear ratio, too. I mean, that'll help, too. That helps a lot. And And maybe most important of all, it makes you able to make a relatively simple, I'll say simple in quotes because robots aren't simple, but simple system to make it affordable. Because you don't have the intricate gearbox? or Yeah, you don't have the gearbox, you don't have the torque sensors. Yeah, no series elastic. And no components. series elastics, and like it becomes a much more simpler system. And think like the key to having affordable robots is to make them simple, and the key to have reliable robots is also to make them simple. Now, without giving away intellectual property, can you give me some intuition of how these motors are the way they are? Yeah, so they are mainly, like most of the performance comes from just like really optimizing for torque to weight, not care so much about like... What's yeah. a tra- what, what trade-off is being made there? Well, they're not so efficient at really high speeds, for example. Ah. So typically you would like say that the motor is most efficient in like, but let's say 1000 RPM and up, our motor is made to be efficient at stall. At what? At stall, yeah. like zero velocity. Ah. Uh, we can do high velocity, but like that's, uh, we don't need it. Yeah. Yep. And then there's some proprietary way we do uh, things a bit different with magnets and shaping magnet fields and doing some things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. And I think, so going back to the, the lower half, the feet, I think it's very interesting that you have kind of a roll 
motion at the ankle, so it can kind of almost like wiggle its hips. Yeah, it's, it is a full human leg, actually. It has exactly the same kinematics as the human leg. It's uh, one leg. It's one leg. One, one single leg. leg. So if, like, if you're standing on a single leg, you have yep. the same kinematics. Gotcha. So it's, it's, it's like a mermaid, in a sense, yeah. but it just has that one leg. And some of the inspiration from that is, like, I think it's a very good um, hybrid approach because you want to do really good stable manipulation, and to do that you need a big support region. But you also want to be able to be very agile when moving around, and then you would like to do a very good uh, job at like balancing. Yes. And mostly we work on flat floors. This is meant so far for indoor use, yep. and that's flat floors. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's the Segway style thing with the wheels that it has on the side that are maybe ten inches tall or something like this. Or yeah. And, and you really need the ankle. You need the mobility in the ankle because if you don't have the mobility in the ankle, you cannot really balance well. So like if you have a large external um, force uh, yeah. pushing the robot or whatever and you want to like catch yourself you you that, that's one of your more important yeah, you lean and also you having balance. the mass really high we, we try it's like unsuspended weight on a car yep. the, the base is light the leg should be light in the bottom and then almost all of the mass is put in the torso so that you have a lot of weight to counteract whatever oh, affects your system very interesting and also because we want to affect the world not yeah. only not, not the other way around so like if you want to open a door that's stuck you need to be able to lean in and use your mass okay or you'll just fall over right yes yeah so it's the same with humans same kind of the same way we humans work right we have our mass up high makes us more stable yes and light legs and so yeah. we don't have to do much work and walk yeah. very interesting and so now we don't have the upper body on display there's no upper body uh, can you tell me a bit about the upper body yeah, so the upper body is actually the one that's in the third generation. So this is the first generation of the lower body. Ah. Uh, so that's why we went with that first now, to be sure we nail the uh, lower body. Yes. Uh, so the third generation of the upper body is actually in boxes in our office now. Yeah. So we hoped we'd gotten it a couple of weeks earlier so we could <laughs> put it together for this conference, but we didn't have time to do that. Okay. Uh, but uh, as we go towards Christmas, I think there will be some interesting videos on YouTube when we get it all together. That's the plan. Uh-huh. Okay, and so it, it's very similar to a uh, upper body of a human in terms of degrees of freedom and this kind of thing. The hands are balls at the moment. They're just spheres. Yeah, so we're partnering with third-party providers for hands in this iteration uh, just to reduce the scope and complexity. And yeah. the th way things are working now, we have a project working a bit on the hands, looking to develop them in-house. Um, but we'll see what like the future brings first. There's a lot of things happening in hands. Maybe we don't have to develop them ourselves. Uh, but they're still too expensive. The hands available today in the market for like what we're trying to reach of cost goals is it's way too expensive. Yep. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a, a minute. Yeah. And then the face. Tell me a bit about the face of the robot. Yeah. Uh, so that is actually the least finished thing on a robot. It maybe might look as the most finished thing, <laughs> but uh, it is the least finished. So this is not final. Uh, this is just we want to be sure that we start early with playing with like human-machine interaction and how people actually perceive the robot. Uh, it's now using like two five-inch OLED screens overlapping to make a face. Yep. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, flexible OLEDs in the lab that we're going to try to integrate. Yep. We're also playing with flexible e-ink, so this yeah. is really work in progress. I see. So the actual yeah. display is a work in progress. The sensors are they? As you, it looks it's like a there's real a structured sen lighting. Real sensor. sense four thirty-five. Ah. Yeah. Okay, so a depth camera yeah. on top. 
that, that's a depth camera, and, and then we have uh, also degrees of uh, freedom for the head, so you can look at what you're doing yeah. for like so visual servoing. And and, uh, 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 so is it just pan and tilt? So for now, this is only pan and tilt. We're going, we're, but we're adding in also the uh, the yaw. So the yaw. Okay. Very cool. Okay, now, um, so you mentioned affordable. What what? Yeah, so Bar ballpark of price point. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you like and a then cost, cost roadmap instead because it's really depend on time. Yeah. Right? So the entire principle, like how this started, was just like we got tasked with like build something that has the potential to become an affordable but still capable platform for home users. So not a toy; it should be capable. Yes. So we looked at like what was the cost drivers. It was the harmonic gears, the torque sensors, the titanium springs, like all these things adding complexity. Yes. And. That's why we started developing the actuators and all these things to be able to do it direct drive. Uh, but, so everything on the robot actually is developed in-house, even like encoders and uh, amplifiers, motors, transmissions. Wow. So given volume, it's really cheap. But in low volume, it's really expensive because we've made it all over ourselves. Yeah. So I'll give you like a... So in 2021, we're hoping to start scaling manufacturing on this for the business segment. Okay. And then it'll cost less than a car. Uh, less than a, what, what kind of car though? Less than like a mid-range car. So like fifty thousand euros around there, or what do you call mid-range car? Yeah, at least I would. We really hope to at least get it lower than that. Hopefully, really? uh, wow. significantly lower. And that is that, that is very cheap compared to what's available today. But yes. still, way too expensive for uh, end consumer in home use, right? So um, for that, we we're, we're aiming for like yeah. I could give you a number, but I would get quoted yeah, on it forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, would be, it would be pure speculation. But we're, we, we, when we look at our bomb list, then given sufficient volumes, we're confident we can actually reach a consumer level price. Uh, and uh, but okay. that, that, that really like then we're at proper it's, manufacturing. Yes, scale it's not thousands of robots then. Then you're at like really, and no yes. one's doing that yet. So. Can you can you tell me a bit about the business? How you guys? So I, what I'm saying this is it's a long term investment for your investors now, um, and so it's almost like a medical device or something that the investors would have to look at the company like. Just um, tell me how that works with giving away equity and these kinds of things, taking out debt. Yeah, so we've actually been very lucky with that. Grants, we, I don't know. Yeah, we have some grants, but uh, most of it is from private investors. Yeah. So Paul Lecken is the founder of the company. Uh, he funded the first like one and a half years of the company himself, and wow. he is very very long term. Uh, and uh, then we have uh, in our Series A, we only got like really long term good investors that we're very happy to work with, which has given us an incredible freedom to just iterate and do what we want. And, um, uh, we're when, next time we're raising money. We hope for the same, like no guarantees here in the world for things like that. But we've progressed really far compared to what we were earlier, so we're really hopeful for that. And uh, uh, I think these kind of things usually work out quite fine as long as you're upfront. Like if you promise we're going to have yes. a ro home robot running around in two years in your home, someone's going to get angry when it doesn't happen. And we're not promising that. We're saying like, it's a long-term goal. Yes, but uh, we're like. I'm not even going to give a timeline because we don't know. It's like there's so much things that needs to happen on software and AI even before it's possible. Yes. I think we could like plausibly actually now put together the mechanical platform that would be able to do it. But we're nowhere near having the software to do it. And who knows how long that will take. So, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Oh, no problem.
And that's the end of today's episode. But there's more to come from iROS 2018 still, as we have plenty more materials left for upcoming episodes. If you can't wait that long, then visit robohub.org forward slash podcast for plenty more news, views and discussions on robotics. If you've enjoyed this episode, have any questions or suggestions about the podcast or would like to get involved, our podcast director, Audro, is always happy to hear from you. You can email him directly at audro.nash at robohub.org. As always, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Iros with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. <laughs>